0: Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garifoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today our guest is Congresswoman Barbara Lee. Now, we've had the Congresswoman on a number of times before, but today's appearance will be different. She will talk about a lot of personal things, and unlike many legislators, Barbara Lee does not like to talk about her personal life too much. Part of the reason is because much of it has been a very, very painful journey. But there's a new documentary coming out on Friday, August 20th, about Lee called Barbara Lee Speaking Truth to Power. And it fuses some aspects of Lee's personal life, including an abusive relationship and being on public assistance as a young single mother, and shows how those experiences and others have shaped her long career as a legislator. On Tuesday, we will be talking with the documentary's director, Abby Ginsburg, about how the film came together. And she will be sharing some behind-the-scenes material that is really great. But now, here is our conversation with my congressional representative, Congresswoman Barbara Lee. Congresswoman Barbara Lee, from your parked car in Oakland, uh, safely parked, to my home uh, in in Oakland. Welcome back to It's All Political. I, uh, you know, I am um, always happy to have my member of Congress on the podcast. But I thought, you know, now that you're Big time uh, movie star with your own documentary out. You might big time us here. <laughs> Please talk to
1: Abby about that. I'm not a movie star, first of all, and I was an unwilling subject for this documentary that a great filmmaker put together and who was persistent and insisted that I do this. But uh,
0: <laughs> I, 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 that is my first question. I know you were very reluctant to do this. Uh, you're out there on many issues as we've uh, we've talked about over the years but you're a very private person you're a very old school and, and type of legislator in that way you're not sharing what you had for breakfast on instagram what what was your initial hesitation in doing this
1: well my initial he- initial hesitation was that first of all I am a public official and I'm doing my work on behalf of my constituents and uh, I don't need to be the subject of the uh, documentary it's kind of oh. like I'm trying to quote, save the world and do right by people and try to create a world that's more equitable and more just. So that's one of the, the reasons I was very hesitant. And it took Abby twice as long to do this film. Secondly, I am a very private person. And you know, as a public official, 98% of your life is pr- person, is, a pr- is a public. But that 2%, I really guard. Uh, that zone of privacy is very important to me. Uh, Otherwise, I don't know how I could do my public work without having that private part and personal part of my life. And so I knew that uh, Abby would try uh, as a filmmaker to to dig a little deeper than what I wanted to go. But she was uh, very uh, respectful and honored uh, those sort of parameters, even though she forced me to have to share a bit of my personal story to make sense, for the film to make sense as it relates to my public life.
0: And, and honestly, Congresswoman, the, there are two big reasons I really enjoyed the film. And that was one of them, was that it was, I learned some things about Barbara Lee, the person that I didn't know before. In fact, I was talking to Amy Allison, who we both know, um, president of She the People, an Oaklander. And she said she learned things about you that she didn't know. And she's she's known you uh, for a couple of decades. And one thing you talked about was uh, that you were involved in an abusive relationship as a young woman. Um, I I imagine that's, that's something you, I don't think I've ever heard you talk about publicly. And how how did that, you know, form how you became as a legislator?
1: Yeah. And uh, (laughs) I won't say (laughs) unfortunately or fortunately, Abby picked up on that. I did write about it in my book and when I was in the and it was a terrible relationship. It wasn't a marriage, it was a uh, relationship. Well ended up later in a marriage, but not the father of my children. But um it was awful. And once I escaped from that, and it was really bad, I understand what battered women's syndrome is. I understand what bad um what takes place between two people that causes um the batterer to continue battering and for the the person male or female to remain in a relationship even though they're getting battered and it it's a violent relationship finally when i was able to to muster everything i had to to leave that relationship i never looked back and when i was elected to the legislature it was ironic because because i never looked back i i didn't understand or know why i was so adamant about all these bills I've introduced. And Pete Wilson, a Republican governor, signed probably about eight or nine of my bills into law on domestic violence. And then uh, when the feds passed the Violence Against Women Act, you know, the state had to create and pass their own. So I actually authored the California Violence Against Women's Act, right? Women Act. And when I look back now, and I guess the film helped me put all that together, it was like, by probably being motivated to do this without even realizing the personal experiences that I had that came into play as to why I, I insisted that um, the uh, issues around uh, violence on all fronts, but especially against women in, in, violent re- in domestic violent relationships, why that was such a, uh, a big issue for myself. And it was and it still is a, a big issue.
0: And it, it was something, but you did not talk about it—that your personal uh, experience publicly at that no. time. it w- it was many years later. Yeah, I yeah, barely you talk about,
1: about it now, Abby.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: Abby made me talk about it. Uh, I didn't even talk about being on public assistance until uh, Lynn Woolsey, uh, and it's in the film. How she made me start talking about—you know—these things are so deeply personal. And There are other issues that uh, you look talk about, abortion. You know. Uh, You talk about other issues that all women that I know, a lot of women that I know, especially women of color and black women, have had to struggle with all of their lives. I'm no exception to that. And I felt like and still feel like, well, I'm going to do everything I can do so women don't have to go through what I went through, but I hate talking about this personally.
0: Really, yeah. No, no. Why is that? Do you think that's a generational thing, or, or what is that? It's because you know, the younger generation of, of legislators talks about that all the time. Uh, you, as you said in the film, this is this is uh, explored where you you until until fairly recently you didn't talk about being on food stamps. Was are you a young mom, young single mom? Why, why is that difficult for you to it's share? It's
1: difficult because it's so personal. And again, and I always say well, I'm a cancer, right? Cancers are very private people, and that two percent zone of privacy. This falls within my private life. You no, know, it's nobody's. In my mind, it's nobody's business, right? But what the again going to Abby? It's like well, the work you do, you, you're motivated in many ways by your experiences, your life experiences. It just happens. My life experiences (laughs) have been a little unique for a lot of public officials. You know, you don't have too many black women of my generation elected to Congress who had the experiences that I've had. Yeah, You know, because it's not like I just started as a professional elected official. I mean, I came to this through many life experiences that uh, a lot of people may have and haven't talked about it or just didn't have.
0: What was it like to, to see that up on the screen? Well, <laughs> it's like, here
1: we go again. I, you know, when I wrote my book, the editors you know, and the publisher insisted that i be authentic because they couldn't figure out why. I was writing about reproductive rights so much, right? Because I remember the days of back alley abortions. I had to go to Mexico, to, you know, and I did. And that's not in the film, but, you know, uh, I know that issue very well.
0: You, you, so you, that was an experience you yeah. had. You went to Mexico to yeah, have an abortion? It, yeah. Oh, okay. I was that, a, that wasn't in the I film. I was a teenager. Yeah. No,
1: it wasn't in the yeah, film. Yeah. I don't even know if I talked to, I'm telling you, but I didn't talk about it we'll, in film. We'll break some news here. Yeah. A lot of, I've talked about it public. It was Amy Allison <laughs> on one of the She the People events where i talked about it because it was about reproductive justice reproductive rights that black women women of color low-income women uh should have access to the same constitutional rights of making their own personal decisions about reproductive freedom well well that, that's now even in the day roe versus wade hadn't even been uh passed or has not been put into the constitution it wasn't a constitutional requirement and so I know those experiences, right? And uh, Yeah, how how old
0: were you? How old were you? Oh then?
1: god. Six, 15, 16, I don't know.
0: Okay. So this is well well before road. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, oh yeah. Well
1: uh-huh. But the experience of having not not having access, not knowing what to do, not being unmarried. You know, I mean, it, it's a terrible thing to have to go through. It's a horrible thing and women go through these decisions they're they're gut-wrenching, they're heart-wrenching. And um And so I'm going to use my life experiences to fight for reproductive rights for everyone, including women of color, low-income women. That's why I worked so hard this year and have been for the last umpteen years to get the Hyde Amendment taken out of legislation, which denies access to the full range of reproductive freedom uh, uh, for women who don't have money or low-income women of color. Okay. So, That's I'm I'm just sharing this with you because it's it's an example of why I have to use, I think, my personal experiences to help uh, to help change the system so that other women and that other people of color, other African-Americans don't have to go through so much that uh, myself and others have gone through in this country.
0: We'll be back with more of my interview with Congresswoman Barbara Lee. But before we take a short break, I want to let you know that the Chronicle has a deal going. You can get 26 weeks of full digital access for 99 cents. Total, that's less than a buck. It renews at $3.99 a week, and you can cancel at any time. It's a short-term offer, so do it now. 26 weeks for 99 cents. It's the best way that you can support my work and this podcast, go to sfchronicle.com slash pod. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly focus pops or lolly mellow pops for kids. And for parents, try three new brainy chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's oll Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The other big reason I love this film, this documentary, uh, was that you had a co-star in this movie, and that co-star was our city, Oakland. Uh, there's there's not only there are many scenes of uh, of the city and you walk it around, but I think that the character of the city comes through. And I was wondering if could you have become the legislator you are without Oakland, which you often describe as, of course, the wokest It, it is,
1: country. and uh, no, you know, Oakland. I love Oakland. First of all, it's a city—a tale of two cities in many respects. We have uh, some enormous wealth here in this city, and one of the highest uh, childhood poverty rates in the country. And, and so, for me. To have the privilege to represent um, Wakanda, (laughs) having been involved with the Black Panther (laughs) Party as a community worker at Mills College, UC Berkeley, Uh, having worked for our great warrior Ron Dellums, having uh, my, my church, Allen Temple Baptist Church in East Oakland, which I've been a member of since, I don't know, since the 80s. Uh, you know, Oakland is a very special place, and I think that all of the challenges that we have here in Oakland, if we can address them here in Oakland, the rest of we can certainly see the country addressing all of the uh, the gaps that must be closed and all of the problems and issues such as poverty, such as income inequality, such as uh, uh, housing, affordable housing, such as health care such as uh racial justice criminal justice reform uh, climate I mean oakland my district is one of the greenest districts in the country uh, way before any other community uh, the Mandela training center teaching young people uh, many formerly incarcerated many uh, young men and women of color uh, how to uh, create um solar roofs and put solar panels on right, buildings. right. yeah you know yeah. so oakland has uh, some of the most progressive ideas, it's most one of the most inclusive cities, uh, but yet we still have so many challenges like gun violence, like uh, addressing uh, the issues around unsheltered people and uh, equality, uh, you know, and, and, and it's a multiracial uh, city where people, even with our differences, try to come together and unify. Uh, I know in the African American community, we, we're we fighting hard to address the anti-Asian hate. Um, as a Black person, I, we de- I deplore this and leading uh, on a lot of issues on anti-Asian hate. And I don't think you're going to see that in a lot of communities where the uh, AAPI right. community where the Latino community where the African-American community, we understand our own, all of our uniquenesses, but we respect each other and what affects one affects all, but it, there's struggles around this, You know, there's struggles. Around yeah, us.
0: Absolutely. And then uh, what, when you say woke and you, you were saying, it, call it, it, we say you always introduce yourself as being from the wokest district. Woke is uh, wh- what do you mean when you say woke and, and you know, this has become sort of a, uh, 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 an epithet on the front in conservative circles, mocking the woke yeah. left. What do you mean when you say it, and what do you hear conservatives say uh, when yeah, they're? Yeah, you know
1: it? these conservatives uh, are despicable. If you ask me, I used woke at a conference uh, years ago when young people started using it, young African Americans, and I just said in my right. speech that uh, you know being woke means. Understanding all the issues each and every day, and fighting against injustices each and every day, knowing what we're dealing with, fighting, fighting uh, for for justice. Actually, the if you look in the Webster dictionary, they picked up that speech and defined woke based on what I said in the speech. <laughs> yeah, hmm. yeah look, Wow. Look yeah, at that. Yeah, you look the. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna check, check that out. out. And it's, My name is right next to woke, and they quote from that. But it was actually young people and I was quoting from what young people were talking about and I was giving a speech and um, where was that speech? I think it was in Atlanta and talking about the fight for justice and equality and you woke in it and the dictionary, Webster Dictionary picked it up and defined it. And that's why I'm, I'd say would the right wing take something that um, we had talked about in a positive way in terms of being aware of injustices, being woke. So we don't go to sleep. Right. So we don't let let the ones now who are who are misusing this term take over. And this is exactly what they've done with the term woke. And, uh, but that's right. how they operate, that's who they are. And so we have to, I say, be woke, right? That they're gonna misuse and, and misinterpret and tell lies as we know the Trump administration has done uh, about everything. Look at what they're saying now by January 6th that this was uh, looked like more of a tourist crowd that came to the Capitol.
0: Right, right. Yeah, and so
1: yeah. that's how they do you. <laughs> that's how they do you. So, yeah, so I feel very offended when I hear them uh, use the term woke because it was young people years ago um, who uh, right. defying woke, and I used it in a speech, and uh, the dictionary picked it up. And now it's in the Webster Dictionary,
0: and you 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 are in the Webster Dictionary. Uh-huh. So the, the center the centerpiece of the film, of course, is your is your is your famous vote in two thousand two, not long after the September eleventh attacks, uh, not to support the authorization of the war of the war in Iraq. Uh, only person in the House to support it. The only person uh, you received death threats. Your family received death threats. And then the movie, they, they do show a scene again with your co star, Oakland, at Frank Ogawa Plaza. Thousands of people greeted you. What what did that moment give you uh, in terms of strength?
1: Well, you know, it was actually the, the two re- authorizations. The one that I voted against, uh, the blank check, that's 60 words, that was right after the horrific attacks of 9 11. Then Iraq came around in 2002, which used the 2001 as the basis for 2002. So the yes, 2001 for authorization. Was really um, the right, that was the right vote because it was 60 words and it really gave any president the authority to go to war forever.
0: And it's been used, it's been used 41 times since, 41, 42 times, I believe in 19 countries by Republicans and Democrats, Yeah, even your friend Obama used it. Yeah.
1: And that was a couple of years ago. We had a declassified report uh, conducted. So it's probably more now, but What happened was, of course, the death threats came. Of course, the, oh God, at Mills College, we housed 60,000 letters, uh, emails, phone calls from people uh, threatening to kill me, uh, calling me a traitor, said I committed an act of treason. But yet there are many who who thanked me for that vote. Bishop Tutu, Coretta Scott King, we we received uh, communications from people all around the world who said this was the right vote. But what happened was because of the security issues, I couldn't travel at all. And finally, when um, they allowed me to travel, and I have to once again acknowledge the Capitol Police because they were just uh, phenomenal. They saved my life in, in a lot of instances and continue to do so. So when I was allowed to travel, we came back to Oakland and went to Mills College first. And that's where students... As I walked in, they started saying, "Barbara Lee speaks for me," and that was in Mills, and that was the first weekend I was allowed to travel. And then the next day, they uh, there was this big rally that Alice uh, Walker and Danny Glover and Gus Newport and so many phenomenal uh, progressive individuals had put together with all these organizations and the security, my, my detail, they didn't really want me to go because there were like 3000 people. It was a cloudy, gloomy day. And they thought I should just send a message and not attend because they were concerned. And something told me at the last minute, nah, I think I want to go down. So I didn't uh, go for the beginning of it, but I got there right toward the end and they were pretty, uh, the security was pretty unhappy about that (laughs) to say the least but I was so glad I I attended uh because when I looked out and saw all of the people there intergenerational multiracial and was with Alice and Danny and Gus and people who were my allies in the struggle I felt like okay I'm not alone in this okay my district because for a few days it wasn't my district wasn't quite clear on why I would vote no I guess it because it, remember everyone was in mourning grieving and this was a terrible
0: attack people were killed uh, and you're a, you're a young legislator at that point or to, I I said you're only in congress a few years 3 or 4 years uh, at that yeah. point. so this was this is you know this is a this is uh, someone who's who's really taking a chance uh with this vote politically
1: but you know I didn't think of it that way people warned me but I didn't think of it that way and I, of course, been in the California legislature. I mean, I've been through some hard issues,
0: right, challenges,
1: right. but I really didn't think about it like that. I thought about it from probably a couple of perspectives. First of all, how it was unconstitutional to give away Congress's requirement to authorize the use of force, knowing that this blank was a blank check and it was so broad that any president would be able to use it. So that was the constitutional issue that i had with this and i talked to many constitutional lawyers who said yep you're right but and then of course i'm a person of faith and it's like my moral compass was saying yeah you know violence begets violence uh you know you've got to really understand and i'm not a pacifist my dad was 25 years in the military and i right, believe right, right. <laughs> so it's not like i just think terrorists can get away with anything, I don't. I mean, I think we have to bring those that harm us to justice, but not give away in three days the um, authority to go to war, not knowing the dangers, the moral, obliga- the moral uh, obligation we have to make sure that there's no collateral damage, that children aren't killed, that that civilians aren't killed. and How are we going to make sure that we're on the right track in terms of who gets killed and how this is going to hurt and, and when you look at the refugees and the number of people back in Afghanistan who were killed and, you know, and so all of the um, unintended consequences is a moral issue for me. It's an ethical issue. And you don't you don't pull the trigger to go to war unless you understand and try to mitigate against all of the uh, issues that could be uh, immoral and wrong. And so I was dealing with my conscience around that and my, my faith. As well as my understanding of the Constitution and what's required by me as a representative, who the people elect, to uphold the Constitution.
0: And there was one of the very uh, poignant scenes in the in the documentary is when uh, the late John Lewis, Congresswoman, uh, former Congresswoman Lynn Woolsey, your your friend here from California, said they regretted not standing with you. Privately, why did people tell you? that they couldn't, that they didn't stand with you?
1: Well, it was really, uh, first of all, remember, members of Congress are human beings. So we all felt the pain and the anger. Uh, Actually, Sandra Swanson, who was my chief of staff, then his uh, cousin, Wanda Green, was on Flight 93. And I was sitting in the Capitol when Flight 93, when they took it down. So
0: in a lot of ways,
1: Wanda and those heroes and sheroes on Flight 93 uh, probably saved my life. And so... So understand the human context. And so people were really torn. I mean, when you look back at some of the debate on the floor, you'll see a lot of members saying, I'm not sure this is the right thing to do. I think it's overly broad. But it was that moment of being unified with the president, who was a Republican. People did not want to seem, it to seem partisan because a lot of folks said I was just too playing partisan politics. I was trying to take on a Republican president. A lot of people felt that we had to be unified at that point democrats and republicans to come together to respond to 9-11 i think that's what it was not thinking about the implications or the rationale and this remember this was three days after these horrific attacks i think the authorization was on 9-14 and so people didn't have members didn't have a lot of time to think it through uh, or to think through the impact because it was emotional and um my background is, of course psychology and psychiatric social work and the first lesson you learn in psychology 101 is you don't make hard decisions when you're emotionally distraught or when you're angry or when you're uncertain you know so and i saw that again as a moment of, of of emotion uh and we're elected to try to rise above that, to be rational, to be thoughtful in our response, even though our emotions um, naturally play into it. We, we cannot let our emotions take over when during a national security crisis. Otherwise, we make some serious mistakes. And I knew that.
0: And 20 years later, uh, your fellow House members have uh, found the courage to catch up with you. The House voted earlier this year to repeal that authorization. Uh, last week, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, uh uh, voted to repeal the authorization as well. Even a few Republicans joined in and it could go before President Biden who, who has promised to sign it later this year. But you, you've said this is not vindication for you at all. This is not, you know, it's not like, uh, hey, I told you so. This is, this. there's still a lot of work to be done, correct? There's a
1: heck of a lot of work to be done. And this was the 2002 authorization. Remember, this was Iraq, the one that I got through uh, with a bipartisan vote. I think vote was maybe 261, Uh, on the floor a couple of months ago and Senator Cain has taken it up in the Senate. So this is the one that would repeal the 2002 authorization, which I was really proud of when I got on the floor to speak uh, for it. The president issued what we call a SAP, a statement of administration policy saying we support this. And you get you very seldom get a SAP from the White House. (laughs) So uh, the Biden White House, uh, the president supports repealing the Iraq resolution. Because remember, that one was based on lies saying that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. He didn't. Uh, There were none. So that authorization should have been taken off the books a long time ago. So Senator Kane took it up in the Senate. It got through the committee. now it's going to the floor. I talked to him uh, last week. Hopefully, we'll have this done by middle of September, or depending on when the Senate schedules it, and I believe cautiously optimistic, the Republican votes are there to get it to the president's desk. Now that would that has taken if it gets to his desk, uh, I'm confident that he'll sign it. But how long has that taken 20 years?) <laughs> This is a total marathon, and now we're working on 2001, which was the 60 word, which is a little more difficult because the opposition to this, well, I won't say the opposition, but those who are not certain how to repeal the 2001, and I have the authorization repeal resolution also, want to figure out, do we need something in place before we repeal it? And I'm saying, look, my bill says you have eight months to come back to Congress for a more narrow authorization if, in fact, you need it for whatever reason. And so we're going through now uh, the debate around repealing the 2001, but how we should structure it so that um, if, in fact, the president thinks he needs to use force anywhere, he has eight months to come back to Congress to do that.
0: Okay. I want to ask you one one more quick question. Uh, you know, uh, I don't want to bring up personal things, but you are you are seventy five, a very vibrant, energetic seventy five. I have to add that, or you'll kick my butt. I know this. Uh, but sometimes you have a very laudatory documentary here. Uh, it, it, some may see this as a career capper or something like this. How much longer? Would you want to continue to serve and what signs will you be looking for to know when it's time to retire?
1: Listen, you know what? That's I always say that's up to your constituents, that's up to my constituents. Uh, I'll keep going and, until my constituents uh want to elect somebody else,
0: but you have no plans. You're not you're not you have zero plan. because you're reelected with 80 percent of the vote all the time.
1: I, I really don't think about retirement, I think about getting the job done, doing the work for justice, for world peace, and uh. Listening to my constituents, they, they're they very smart people. They're very enlightened. And uh, I believe in democracy. And I believe that uh, people in this district know what they want and will elect who they want. And so I don't really worry about that. I fight really hard for re to be reelected. Uh, and I love the job I'm doing. And I want to continue doing it. And if I didn't, I would say so.
0: Congresswoman Barbara Lee, the documentary is called Barbara Lee, Speaking Truth to Power. It opens in theaters and online August 20th. It's always great to talk to you. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for not big timing us. You know, you've been up and down the red carpet now. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Look, my mother told me I was born Barbara and I'm going to die Barbara, okay? And I love representing the uh, most enlightened and, yes, the wealthiest district in the country. So thank you again. Thank
0: you, Congresswoman. I'd like to thank you all for listening and hope that you and your families are safe and healthy. I'd like to thank Congresswoman Lee for being here. And a reminder that our podcast with Abby Ginsburg, the director of her documentary, will be out on Tuesday. I'd like to thank the King, Webby Award winning producer, King Kaufman, for producing today's episode. And of course, we always throw a shout out for our fabulous theme music. That song you are listening to is called Cattle Call, and it was written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. And remember, whether you're woke or still fast asleep, it's all political.